land I a place that I have found Lord, plant my feet on higher ground Please be seated, all right? Good morning. It is so good to be with you all on this Lord's Day morning. I love this church. And I'm so grateful for the chance to preach the gospel. Jesus, Jesus died for our sins and he rose from the dead on a Sunday like today. And he summons us to come to him. Uh, Austin started with a discussion of a hymn. We just sang a bunch of beautiful hymns. I want to start with a discussion of a hymn too. Don't you find that some of the best lessons you've ever heard were hymns? So we're going to talk about the invitation hymn we're going to sing tonight, or this morning. Uh, so it was written by this lady, Charlotte Elliott, and she was an invalid. And she started asking herself, this period of of discouragement and depression. What do I have to offer? And she actually went to an evangelist and she asked, what can I contribute? What do I have to offer? And she was told by this, this evangelist, all you need to bring is yourself. And so that changed her whole life. It changed her whole thinking about everything. And she wrote this hymn, you guys know it, she wrote these words. They're in thousands of language, thousands of hymnals, and, and uh, they, they say this, just as I am, just as I am, just as you are, just as I am, without one plea, but that thy blood was shed for me, and that thou bidst me come to thee, O Lamb of God, I come. Simple lesson this morning, three points. Just as I am, O Lamb of God, I come. I like this picture of this, this guy because, uh, because he's carrying around this backpack. I carry around this backpack with me everywhere I go. People, you know, it's got my laptop, it's got everything in it. It's, in fact, it's sitting at my, my pew back there. But there's another backpack that we, we carry around with us. And it's just full of all the stuff of our life. Some of it we might call baggage, but it's not all bad. It's, it's our attitudes and our relationships and our, all the stuff that makes our life, all the, the collection of things that we carry with us. Every, my grandpap used to say, everywhere you go, there you are. <laughs> and there's our bag with us. You know, one day, a lot of years ago, too many, too many to try to tell you a number, really. I was baptized into Christ. I, I believed that Jesus was who he said he was, and I, I turned to him. I didn't look flashy, but I turned to him, and I died to myself. I was buried, and when I rose from the waters of baptism, I was different. I had how much guilt? Zero guilt. <laughs> nothing. Nothing that I carried with me 
as far as sin that God saw when he looked down into me. I was a child of God. But when I came out of the water and I went home, you know what I took with me? A lot of that stuff. A lot of the same attitudes, the same relationships, the same habits. I mean, I started, I started a journey that day. I started a journey with Jesus, coming to him again and again, humbly, seeking his will. Like we talked about in class today, seeking your will, not mine. You know the best way. And he started working in me, right? I started just daily calling on him, trying to make the changes and following him. And, and slowly, you know, now I have somebody to unpack that bag with. And things start to change because I was seeking the Lord. What you seek is one of the most important things in your life. That day I changed what I was seeking. Jesus says, what you seek, you're going to find. One of the things that I wish that somebody said to me, especially when I was younger, is that over time, if you're hungering and thirsting for righteousness, you're going to find it. Or as he said, you will be filled. You start to change things. If you want to change what you're getting in your life, you got to change what you want, what you're looking for, what you're pursuing. And so we come to Jesus. We're not perfect when we come to Jesus, but we walk out of the waters and we are cleansed and we are made perfect by the blood of Jesus. And then we begin this process of walking with him every day. We're going to look here in a little bit at Luke chapter 5, verses 12 to 32. And there's this picture of these three different men who came to Jesus in different ways, a leper and a lame man and Levi. And each of these starts to show us something about what Jesus wants to do in our lives. And so the purpose of this lesson is pretty basic. For those of you, and I think there are some of you here, who have not come to Christ. I just, want to, I just want to call you to come. Come. Come to Jesus. He'll change everything. Even though when I went home, my life didn't look that much different. And yet he changed everything. I was both the same guy and a completely new man. I had hope. I had confidence in eternity. He could do that for you today. But also, for those of you who have come to Christ, I want to invite you to keep coming. There's this idea, it's a, it's a teaching that you hear sometimes, that all you have to do is come to Jesus. But that's not what the Bible says. The Bible says, come, Jesus says, come to me. But you know what else he says? In John 15, he says, abide in me. Stay in me. Dwell in me. Live in me. Make me your home. Stay with me. Abide in my words. Abide in my teaching. Abide in my ways. Stick with me. 
Hold on to me. Keep coming to me. James 4, 8 says, draw near to God. And what's he going to do? Draw near to you. If there's 10,000 miles between you and God, God is going to cover the lion's share. God is going to come right to your door. I mean, he's right there. But you got to take a step. you got to move. And he's waiting. He's inviting. And he's calling us to come to him. So I want to talk first about three ways not to come. You might be thinking, ah, I, don't, I don't need to come to Jesus. And the first is to put it off. Okay, so let me just start by saying my wife gave me permission to share this story. <laughs> A lot of people are protective of my wife, so I want you to know that. So I had this idea, okay, how about just as a way of lightening our load, lightening your load especially, how about if we hire a cleaning service to come in and, and just clean the whole house? And the problem with that is before we hire a cleaning service, what she wants to do is clean the whole house. <laughs> you got to pick up the clutter, and then you got to do a deep clean, and everything is perfect. You don't want to see your mess. So then they can come and clean it all up. And I think we sometimes approach our spiritual lives like that. I have had more than one person that I was studying with say to me, you know, once I get it all together, once I figure it out and I get my life right, then I'm going to become a Christian. That is not how it works. That's like, that's like taking a flashlight and trying to start it without any batteries. You come to Christ. You come to him and you find in him grace and help in time of need. You find mercy and forgiveness. You find transformation. You find the community of God's people to support you. You find his instruction in his word. You find someone you can call on whenever you need help. Lean on for strength and direction. We have to come to the Lord. And so we could put it off. We could also try to protect ourselves I come from a long line of men who don't like going to doctors. Some of you knew my dad. He did not like going to doctors. My uncles did not like going to doctors. And, and some of my uncles had very unhealthy habits. A lot of them were lifelong smokers. But they didn't want to go to the doctor. I don't want to go to the doctor a lot of the time. And so, you know, just imagine, say, one of their grown-up daughters takes them to the doctor, says, we got to go to the doctor. No, I don't need a doctor. I'm good. I'm, I'm, I'm healthy, <coughs> right? You know, I, and, and so they take him to the doctor, and the doctor says, what's the problem? There's no problem, you know. There's, there's, everything is wrong. Well, why are they doing that? Why would you say that? There is no problem. You're trying to protect yourself because what are they going to say? you got to change. What if they tell you you have to do something different? I don't want to change, so I just, I just stay back. You know, a lot of us can 
can kill ourselves trying to protect ourselves. We can say we don't need it, but until we're ready to listen to the physician, we cannot be healed. And so we keep denying there's a problem, but that's, that's the third way. We can pretend. Have you ever heard this saying, there are no guilty people in prison? What's that about? Do they really think they weren't the one that stole that car? No, but they're pretending. It's, it's easier to rationalize and justify, ah, this is unjust and, and I shouldn't be here, than to look at yourself in the mirror. Brian, Brian's whole lesson seemed like a lot of it was about, I love this word Brian used, fakery. It's a great word. It's a great word. Fakery. Boy, we can make our whole lives, our spiritual lives especially, fakery. We can do it in the church. Boy, that's a scary thought. We can do that where we... You know, we get dressed up nice and, and we just try to not acknowledge that we have struggles and that we have temptations, we have difficulties and even doubts sometimes and we have things we have to work through. We especially can do it before we come to Christ. We can say, I don't need it. I, I'm pretty good. Jesus says in Matthew 13 and verse 15. This is another verse I was thinking about during Mitch's lesson. He says, so he's quoting Isaiah. He says, for this people's heart has grown dull in their ears. They can barely hear in their eyes. They have closed lest they should see with their eyes and hear with their ears and understand with their heart and turn. And you know what he would do as soon as they do that? And turn and I would heal them. But if you close your eyes and you don't look in the mirror, then you don't have to see the mess you look like, which is scary, but you also can't be healed. Turn with me to 1 John, 1 John chapter 1. So this is a passage written to those who have come to Christ, who have been, as verse 7 says, cleansed by the blood of Jesus. And it says, if we, having come to Christ, having been buried with him in baptism, repented, confessing that he is our Lord, we are walking with him and we sin. He says, if we say, verse 8, we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say we have not sinned, we make him a liar and his word is not in us. Let me say this. There are no pretenders in fellowship with God. There are no pretenders 
in fellowship with God. We have to acknowledge to God our sin. You ever heard that, that saying sometimes you, you hear, you have to start by acknowledging there's a problem? Well, God says, if you want to come to me, start by being honest. We're talking about the potter. An honest heart is clay that God can work with. But if we're hardened, if we're, if we're trying to protect ourselves and pretend, nah, I'm okay, I'm okay. Boy, we're in trouble. We're in, God is a God of truth, and truth is healing. You will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. And so we have to come to him. Just as I am. God wants me to come just as I am. He doesn't want me to fix everything and then come. I can't do it. I can't do it. He doesn't want me to pretend I'm okay. He doesn't want me to partially come. He wants me to come as I am to him. So our family's watched some, a few episodes of this, this show now, The Chosen. So I don't know where you get it. You can stream it somewhere. And it's about, it's about Jesus, and mostly it's about his disciples, the apostles. And this is a picture of Levi, or Matthew. And as we were watching this show, I noticed my kids having an emotional connection with this guy, who is a tax collector. And he's living in a Jewish city, but he's an outcast among his own people. He's living wealthy among people that he is taking from them. Austin talked about tax day. Somebody talked about tax day earlier. You know, he's taking from them for the evil pagan Romans, and he's skimming right off the top, and that's financing his good life. They don't, nobody likes him. And Jesus calls him. He picked 12 people, and this is one of the guys. Levi, leave your tax booth and follow me. And he gets up and he goes and he follows him. This is actually the, the third of a, a series of three stories that Luke tells here in Luke 5, verses 12 to 32. Have you ever heard of a triptych? You know, the paintings, when they do three paintings that aren't meant to be separate, they, they go together and as a whole you see them. I think that's what Luke is doing here. It's like a triptych where we see this progressing story that climaxes in Jesus' statement in verse 32 about coming to heal those who are sinners, the physician who heals those who are sick. It starts with a leper in verses 12 to 14, 15. It starts with this guy who comes to Jesus and he says to him, if you will, I can be made clean. You can heal me. Lepers, like Levi, are outcasts, but they're also sick. They're unclean. They're ceremonially unclean so much that they can't come before God in, in the, the temple worship. And Jesus says to him, stretching out his hand and touching him, I will 
be clean. Now, if, if you're not paying attention or if you don't know things about the Old Testament law, you might miss what just happened. What happens when you touch someone who's unclean? You're unclean. Is, is Jesus unclean now? No. The, the uncleanness of the leper can't touch Jesus. Instead, Jesus has a contagious cleanness that he spreads around and he gives it to the leper. He touches the leper and the leper becomes clean. And this is beginning, so that's a physical cleansing, but you can see the spiritual implications of it already based in Leviticus. And that leads to the next story. So we're going to go from the physical cleansing to spiritual cleansing at the end in verse 32. So after the, the story of the leper, then there's the story of the lame man in the middle. And this paralytic is brought to Jesus by his friends. They can't get in. The crowds are so huge. They tear the hole in the roof. They lower him in. And Jesus doesn't cleanse him. Not of his physical ailment. Not right away. He says instead, your sins are forgiven. And then people thought, oh, who is this guy? And I know, I know what you're thinking. Now, so that you know I have the right to cleanse, be healed. Guy stands up and starts walking. Now, here's my question. Which is the greater miracle? If you had to choose, be an invalid all your life or be forgiven, I'm I switched those, but you know what I'm saying. <laughs> if you had to choose to be physically healed or spiritually healed, which would you pick? There's, there's, there is no choice. I mean, eternal life, fellowship with God, hope and purpose and, and cleansing and wholeness and healing and life. So that leads, you can see how we went from the physical healing of the leper that was representative of something else to Jesus is healing spiritually, but, but there's also a physical healing, and that leads us to Levi being called. And as he calls, having, having been forgiven, having been brought in, having been uh, called to be Jesus' ser servant and his follower, he has a feast with all his friends, and everybody's asking, who is this guy? to go and eat with all these sinners. And Jesus has an answer for them. Jesus tells us who is qualified to come to him. Who has the right? You know those things that makes me think of those envelopes. You get them every day. You're pre-approved, right? Who is pre-approved to come to Jesus? Those who have gotten their life together, those who are righteous, who is it that is qualified to come to the Lord? Well, here's what Jesus said. It is not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. Well, of course, that's all of us. But suddenly, the worst news of your life I'm a sinner, fades into this very good news. 
I'm qualified to come to Jesus. I'm just the person he came to save. There's that old Marine commercial, we're looking for a few good men. Jesus is the opposite. I'm looking for all the sinners to come to me. If you're a sinner, you are the person Jesus has come to save. There's a version of this song that we sing sometimes at North, of this song, Just As I Am, that has a, a chorus, and it says, I come broken to be mended. I come wounded to be healed. I come empty to be filled. I come guilty and desperate. And God makes us whole. Look with me at Jeremiah chapter 30. Jeremiah chapter 30 and verse 12 to 13. So he's talking about Israel here, but as you see in verse 9, he's talking about David their king, which was a long ago king. He's talking about Christ and the messianic kingdom, the, the, the true Israel. And he says in verse 12, at first, this sounds really bad. For thus says the Lord, your hurt is incurable. He's talking about this, their sin. And your wound is grievous. There is none to uphold your cause. No medicine for your wound. No healing for you. There is nothing. What are you going to do? What is anybody going to offer you to make you whole again? And yet, remember in David's great prayer of repentance, Psalm 51, 17, he said, a broken and contrite heart I will not despise. We're actually just where we need to be if we humbly see our sin. Just where we need to be, not where we should be, but where we need to be to turn to God. If we see our sin and we're broken and we're ready to come to him and we come guilty and desperate and empty. Look at verses 14 to 15 here. All your lovers have forgotten you. They care nothing for you. For I have dealt you the blow of an enemy and the punishment of a merciless foe because your guilt is great, because your sins are flagrant. Why do you cry over your hurt? Your pain is incurable because your guilt is great, because your sins are flagrant. I have done these things to you. I don't know if you've ever felt this way. I bet most of us have felt sometimes. Boy, how can the Lord take me in, take me back after I sinned against him? Think of another person who was broken and desperate and empty and guilty in Jesus' story in Luke 15 about the man with two sons. And that son that was found himself in a pigsty and he was so ashamed. So ashamed because he came to himself and he saw things clearly and he had nothing to offer his father. He had nothing to put in his belly. And that is a picture, not of people elsewhere, but that's a picture of where we were. Desperate, guilty and empty, I come. But I come to the one who can save, O Lamb of God. There's this idea we can sometimes fall into that we are the heroes of our story. 
or as a Disney movie says, you are the one you've been waiting for. No, you are not the one. You are not the hero of your story. You can't fix what you have broken. You're not the hero of your kid's story. You're not the hero of your life. You're not the hero of your death. I'm not the hero of this sermon. Any good that comes is about and from Jesus Christ. The Lamb of God. Incurable is your wound. Incurable. What can wash away my sin? Nothing. Can you imagine if the song ended there? What can wash away my sin? Nothing. But that's not where the song ends. That's not where the story of the gospel ends. Nothing but the blood of Jesus. As Jesus' cousin John the Baptist said, as Jesus walking by, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. As Isaiah 53 verse 5 says, By his wounds you are healed. Jesus can take away all that we have done to, to break us and to wound us and make us healthy again. He invites us to come just as we are. But you know, he loves us too much to leave us that way. You know, you come just as you are, but you're not meant to leave just as you are. You come having repented. Having repented. What is repentance? It doesn't mean you're not going to maybe, maybe three days later commit another sin that you were, you were doing it before. That doesn't invalidate, oh, so I need to go get baptized again. My, my repentance wasn't valid. That's not what it is. It means I'm turning to God. I am committing myself to you. I am willing to follow you. And whenever we sin, then we have to turn again and repent again. And so he keeps changing us and making us not as we are, but as he is. To follow him. We come broken, not just to wallow in, oh, I'm so broken. Let me tell you a story about how awful I am. But to be mended. This, this isn't about me, this is about Jesus, but I am mended. <laughs> I am whole. God's power is at work in God's people who are here. God's power is, is creating a new person in us. It's interesting, this word salvation means a rescue. You don't rescue yourself. You are rescued by a savior. Not a sidekick to what you do. He's a savior. And salvation in the Bible is described as past, I was saved on that day. As present, 1 Corinthians 15, we are being saved. And as future, someday when Jesus comes again, we will be saved. Salvation, though, is completely in the hands of the Lamb of God. It doesn't mean we don't do anything. We don't obey him. We have to turn to him. But that's not us saving ourselves. 
That's when our Savior comes and says, come with me. We're, we have the wits enough to follow him to the way out, to obey him, to, to trust him enough to say, I'm with you. So I come to be mended and whole. The rest of the story in Jeremiah 30, verse 17, for I will restore health to you and your wounds I will heal. I will heal. I will heal you. I come to be rescued and filled, pardoned and welcomed. What did the father of the prodigal do? As he comes to him reciting, I'm going to say this and I'm going to say, you ever make a speech to yourself like, this is how I'm going to do it. I'm going to, I'm going to Say this, and then if he says this, I'll say that. And he's going through it in his mind, and the father doesn't let him get a single word out. Father sees him afar and runs and gives him a hug. You are welcomed. Not because you're great. You're the prodigal. I'm the prodigal. But we're welcomed because our father loves us. And if we're turning to him, he's ready to receive us. Give us a crown. Make us an heir. Give us a ring. Give us the fatted calf. To bless us. I come, I come. O Lamb of God, I come. The rest of the story in James chapter 4, verse 8 was draw near to God and he'll draw near to you. Verse 7 is resist the devil and he'll flee from you. Resist the devil and submit, or literally it's a war term, surrender to God. How do I come? I come in faith. I come believing you bid me to come. I come believing you're the one who heals. I come believing your sacrifice is enough. I'm not enough, but you are sufficient. I come repenting. Jesus came not for the righteous, but to call sinners to repentance. I come as I am to become as he is. I come confessing him to confess Jesus it's not just reciting some phrase. When you say, I believe Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God, you are taking a stand because you're saying he's the king. He's the Lord. He's the Christ. And that means I'm with him. Nobody else is the Lord. He's the king. And I stand with Jesus. It is a confession of my trust in him and my loyalty to him. And then I die to myself. I'm buried and I raise again a new life forgiven of my sins. I've been thinking this week about all that changed. Because it's so, for me, again, very long ago, whenever I became a Christian. And, um, you know, from the outside, it didn't look very different. I was a pretty good kid. And I was baptized, went to church the Sunday before, went to church the Sunday after. But if you knew a little more, if you could see inside, you would see some other things. You would see, you would see a weight of shame, just so ashamed of things that I had done. You would see an almost obsessive fear of death, like just thinking about it all the time. You would see, you know, I, I had morals, but my morals were all really things somebody else handed to me and said, these are, 
These are things you should do. They weren't a conviction where I said, this is where I stand because this is where Jesus, my Lord, leads me. In fact, everything was kind of about myself, including my self-doubt and myself, everything, self-focus, self-selfishness. And I prayed sometimes, but at night, when I was alone, you know, nobody else around, um, I felt the absence of God. I didn't know that's what I was, I was perceiving. But we are made to be in fellowship with our God. We are made to walk with Jesus. We're made to have purpose. Your life matters. It's here for something. It's to follow Jesus and to glorify God. We're made to, to be one, to live from love to other people and to God and to know we are loved, deeply loved, more than you can conceive of. You are loved, treasured by God and Jesus Make sure we know it as he hangs on the cross for us. You are invited. You are called. You are summoned to Jesus. Let him be your king and keep seeking him all the days of your life. If you're not a Christian, we invite you to come while we stand and sing. Just as